thanks everyone for joining us today at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. In our previous episode, Frankenstein, we interviewed paranormal investigator Rob Demarest, the lead investigator of the sci-fi show Ghost Hunters International, and a definite go-to authority on the paranormal, who had joined us to discuss their investigation of Frankenstein Castle and its mad body-snatching doctor, the true and horrific story which inspired Mary Shelley to write one of the greatest Gothic horror stories ever penned. Rob turned out to be a very interesting guest, possessing a wealth of ghost hunting experience after dedicating more than 20 years to that rare field, during which he's conducted investigations across the globe, searching for some of history's darkest characters and places, and looking for answers that can best explain paranormal activity. Today he's going to take you on a hair-raising trip to some of the most infamous paranormal sites in the world, from Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines to Hitler's Bavarian bunker and beyond. Rob, thanks for joining us today at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. Why don't we start by you sharing a little bit of your background and what in the world got you into this crazy business? Oh, I mean, thank you for having me, first of all. It sounds from the description of your show that it's right up my alley. Um, I actually began in this business, as it were, when I was about eight or nine years old. My mother would take my sister and I, who used to, you know, the more I'd bother her, the more she'd hit me, which seemed to be our kind of game. My mom, just being completely annoyed by that, would take me around to a number of abandoned houses that were said to be haunted around upstate New York. Now, keep in mind, this is, you know, several decades ago. So there was no no trespassing signs. People, you could kind of go wherever you wanted. So we'd, you know, take an afternoon and wander around these quote-unquote haunted houses. So I thought it was absolutely fascinating. Um, it wasn't until years later that I started delving into the work um, of early pioneers like Harry Price and the Fox Sisters, um, et cetera, uh, Conan Doyle, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and started learning their techniques as well as more modern techniques uh, for doing paranormal exploration, a field that is constantly evolving, you know, even as we speak. My first official, I would call it, investigation didn't occur until I was 16, where I went to Dudleytown, Connecticut. Um, the, the Warrens, made famous now by the Conjuring films, called it the most haunted town in America. That's where I, I cut my teeth. I did my first investigation. Um, went up there during the day and took pictures and walked around and waited for the ghost to appear because I thought that's what you did. You just kind of hung out until the ghost appeared. Well, unfortunately, it's not quite that easy. If it was, you know, no one would bother with it. Nobody goes out there and says, I'm going to go mosquito hunting. They're pretty easy to find. <laughs> so I, I learned that ghost hunting is, is a very tricky skill, and you have to constantly be rethinking your own techniques, your own technology, your own approach, um, which led to me joining a team called Florida Ghost Team down here in, in way too hot and sunny Florida, and from there, I was approached by a production company to lead a spinoff of the hit show Ghost Hunters on Sci-Fi, which was entitled uh, our show, Ghost Hunters International. So I led that team for four years and two complete or complete seasons. Um, in total, I've investigated just over 50 countries around the world and have investigated everything from Hitler's bunker in, in Poland to the alleged... Uh, 
visitation of Hitler's ghost in Argentina, if you believe in the conspiracy theories that he, in fact, escaped Berlin for Argentina. I investigated there as well and had some crazy experiences. But, you know, I've gone after Vlad Tapish at his fortress in Romania, um, famous now, as most people would know him better, as the inspiration for Dracula. Um, you know, despite the fact that uh, he didn't actually drink blood, he impaled people <laughs> up the anus with giant steaks. Um, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, I've done Lady Bathory's castle where she was imprisoned after her conviction for murdering many young women, a story that appears to not actually be factual at all, an interesting story there as well. Uh, as you and I have discussed often online, Frankenstein's castle in Germany, uh, many mental asylums in Australia. I have done the War Museum from when the Japan invaded Malaysia. You, you name it, I've been there. I've done investigations in the Middle East, all over Eastern and Western Europe, South America. I've done, you know, like I said, over 50 countries. So pretty well-versed in geography, at least for an American. Wow. Ah, just had to offend everybody out there. Did you ever cover Saipan, Garapan Prison, Amelia Earhart? Just just curious. No, but, but um, I know who did, and that would be uh, Josh Gates who now hosts Expedition Unknown and had a, a episode dedicated to Amelia Earhart. Oh, um, and as you know, and you just, as you just touched upon, that um, it, the new evidence seems to suggest that she did survive the flight and was taken um, as a prisoner and potentially what they believed a spy and probably um, perished in well in captivity. Yeah, I, But no, I have not personally gone after... Her, her spirit, you know, it's in Asia, it's a very delicate subject, depending on the country. We went to, and this never aired on GHI, and I'll tell you why. We went to Singapore, and we had, we had been told by many locations in and around Singapore that maybe they would let us do an investigation. So I had suggested going to Japan because uh, I used to be an English as a second language student or student teacher, and I had a student from Japan who had some great locations in Japan for us. But instead, the production company decided to go with Singapore, where we had 15 maybes. Well, <laughs> it turns out in culturally that they, are, they generally are not going to say no when asked about a business decision because it, it causes them to lose faith. So when they say maybe, it's a very polite way of saying no, which we found out very quickly upon <laughs> arriving in Singapore. We did have one person say yes. They were trying to sell their, their office block, which had been rumored to be haunted. And they said, if you sign a waiver agreeing to say that the location is 100% not haunted, we will allow you to investigate. And we said, well, we don't work that way. We, we work off what results we find. And they said, we can't take that risk because if you say that there are ghosts here, we will never sell this building. So we spent a week in Singapore looking around for cases and, and were never able to to lock one down mm -hmm. and were sent home after. But it was a fantastic vac vacation in Singapore. <laughs> Let's cover some of your most memorable ghost hunting expeditions. You can pick, well, one, to, pick one to start with. Let, let's start with Clark Air Force Base in an hospital in the Philippines. Um, we went in there. 
And this was, we, we have now given the base back to the Filipino government. But during the Vietnam War, it was used as a, you know, nearby hospital to transport patients um, in need of, of greater attention from Vietnam. And a lot of American soldiers, rest in peace, passed away there. Now, the activity that had been reported to us of babies crying, voices saying hello, apparitions, everything that was said to happen there, we experienced in one night. Wow. Um, it's, and and it, it looks like a parking garage. It's empty. There's nothing left. Um, so, it, and I'll tell you why that, that case really stuck with me and something they didn't show on TV. At the end of the episode, I told the producer that I wanted to go down to the morgue where we had had a lot of activity, and I'd received the EVP that said, help me. Um, so I wanted to go and back re- remind, down. Excuse and, me, remind our listeners uh, on the technology, some of the initials you're using. Uh, kind of yes, get them up to the, date uh, on that. Yes, we're using EVP, which stands for Electronic Voice Phenomenon. This is where we use analog or digital recorders and ask questions to hopefully record voices that we do not hear at the time. Okay. Um, now, on this particular case, there was voices that we heard at the time, which we refer to as disembodied voices, obviously a, a voice without a body present. But we also captured these EVPs. I, I asked the question, is there anything we can do for you? And the, 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 when you listen back to the recording, it said very clearly, help me. So at the end of the episode, I didn't want this to be on camera, but the producer convinced me. I went back down and thanked the soldiers for their service to our country. What I did not know at the time, I had a voice recorder running, and I said, perhaps the greatest thing I can tell you you know, to try and help is that the war is over. What I didn't know at the time is that I had gotten another EVP, another voice I did not hear on the time, on the recording. Right after I said that, the voice, um, a man's voice said, who won? Mm. And, and I think that that's a regret that sticks with me is I can't go back and answer that question. Oh, wow. um, so that one sticks out. Another one, I did a show that, that aired here in America briefly and did very well. It was called Haunting Australia. It did very well in Australia, not so much here in the States. Um, and I went back and I did a tour with people present, and one of the locations we did was called Beechworth Mental Asylum. Now, this location was, was just incredible. It's one of the most haunted locations I've ever been to in my life. Um, a good friend of mine, I watched him be struck in the back of the head um, by, uh, by, there was no one there. He didn't trip over anything. Something punched him in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. Um, he also was able to capture a photograph of an apparition of a small um, young girl, which is very odd because no one that age should have been present. You know, they wouldn't accept anyone under the age of 14, and this young girl looked to be about five or six years old in a long dress. Very clear photo. It wasn't a mist. It wasn't dust. It was a young girl in this photo. There was no young girls present on this investigation. Wow. Furthermore, had um, there was one ward where they kept dangerous patients. They were kept in restraint, straight jackets at all times because they were so violent. Now, we had a member of the, the Haunting Australia team um, there present in the investigation. Her name was Raylene. 
Now, Raylene did an investigation, which she wasn't really getting very much, and she left her voice recorder unknowingly running while she left to get her next group to investigate there. Now, not much to it until she listens to recording the recording, and in the empty room after she leaves, you just hear a man screaming over and over and over in an empty room. Now, the, it gets even stranger in that you hear her voice from a distance as she's talking to the group and leading them back into the building. And as she enters her room, you hear this same male voice say, Raylene, right as she enters the room wow. and then goes quiet again. She doesn't answer any of her questions. Nothing more is said. Um, we had people that reported having their hair pulled. We had people in tears. Um, there was a gentleman. Now, this guy, I'm, I'm a pretty good-sized young man. I'm six foot four, 285. And this guy towered over me. And, and I could tell that he didn't want to be there. His girlfriend had dragged him along. He seemed miserable. And so I, you know, I engaged him in conversation. I said, so what do you do? And it turns out that he is special forces military for Australia. He served in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, and so I said, oh, boy, this, this is not a happy camper. Well, the first thing I said to the, the group was, please stay together, you know, just for safety so that we know where everyone is. So what is the first thing this gentleman does? Wanders off in a, on his own. <laughs> Next thing you know, he comes charging at me. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a long night. He charges at me and grabs my hand and shoves it against his chest. And I can feel that his heart feels like it's about to jump out. Wow. And he said that as he turned a corner, this white apparition of an older gentleman came charging at him. And he, he just turned and ran. And he said, I did two tours in the Middle East, was, you know, had live fire combat experience, and I've never been this scared in my entire life. And his girlfriend seemed elated. I told you, I told you, I told you about these things. And he said, yeah, that's fine. Let's go. And he, he kind of like, no, we're not. We just got it. Nope. They were gone. They, they lasted about 20 minutes of the four hour investigation. And he said, I, I will never set foot here again. Wow. We'll return to our interview right after this sponsor message. And now back to our show. Did you ever lose anybody from your cruise that they just, they just couldn't handle? The experience, uh, did, was there a heavy turnover in your yes. uh, investigative cruise? Yes, there, is, there are. There was, uh, in, interestingly enough, it was not one of the investigators. It was a producer. Now, this producer did not believe in the paranormal. <laughs> Just they didn't believe in ghosts, which is fine. I have no yeah. problem with people who, who, who feel that way. Um, but we were investigating a monastery, a men's monastery in Italy. Um, that one of the most haunted locations, now this was, there's a very strange backstory, but it would take too long to tell. Let's just say that the Pope excommunicated the entire monastery because there were rumors they were practicing Satanism. So he said, you are no longer part of the church, and, but the monastery continued. Well, they were harvesting rice and, and, and doing, you know, to, to earn an income for the monastery, but they didn't have enough people, so they made they established a woman's dormitory. Well, the men monks thought this was an abomination and thought this was a horrible idea, and apparently harassed and possibly attacked the women in the dormitory. We had several members of the team um, 
be had they, they had their hair pulled, they were shoved. Well, so I went in there with another male investigator and our camera crew. No women present except for the producer. Scaring the heck out of me, she comes up and taps me on the shoulder, and I turn around and she's in tears. And I said, What's going on? And she said, I'm leaving. We're done. And this is and your I said, producer. What do you mean? Yeah. This is a producer, not a ghost hunter, mind you, a, a television producer, and, and a very well-accomplished one at that. She's in tears. And I said, well, what happened? And she refused to answer. There was, there was no comment. There was nothing. She volunteered nothing. She said, I'm leaving. You can stay if you want. I, and so I said, you know, she gets asked if I could walk her out. So I walked her out, and we wound up reconvening. Um, that was it. She quit. That was that was the end of her tenure on the show. So even though I have never heard what happened to her, it was enough that her belief in in the supernatural was greatly changed mm -hmm. by this monastery. And I dare say she probably never did enter a reportedly haunted location again. Tell me about the experience uh, with Hitler's ghost in South America. That is a fascinating case because the person who, who brought us in was an author who had, had pushed the conspiracy theory that many of the high-ranking Nazi officials, including Adolf Hitler, had escaped Berlin as the forces, you know, America and Russian forces came in around them. And to a certain extent, that is true. Um, the location that we investigated was a large hotel and hospital clinic that had been purchased by Germans during World War II, and they had built it, they, had, they took it because it was a good mile away from the town. They built guard towers, they put up barbed wire, you know, this thing was well protected. They had armed guards with machine guns, and there was a, now, now it's, it's been abandoned and there's nothing there anymore, there's just a caretaker, and a tourist snapped a photo that she said shockingly looked like the image of Adolf Hitler. I've seen the picture. Very, very hard to judge. Um, it definitely appears to be a male with what you would call a typical uh, Charlie Chaplin or Adolf Hitler style mustache. But that was about, you know, the, the picture was taken from a great distance away. But we did an investigation there. And I can say that, that some very strange things happened. Um, one of the habits I've developed is changing my batteries on all my equipment prior to every investigation. Because one of the things that's said to happen at haunted locations is battery drain. You hear that term quite a bit. It means that the, the, the energy is actually drained by some force out of these batteries. So I always use new batteries so that I know if something happens, it's not that I've used it on four investigations and the batteries just went dead. Well, I decided, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go for the, the gusto. And, and I attempted to make contact. I was by my, it was myself and one cameraman. I had no teammates with me. There was no one else in the building. And everything started dying. My tape recorder, my camera, my backup camera, my backup tape recorder, my video camera. One by one by one by one, they all started dying. And even as we were walking out of the building, the producer who was working as a cameraman to get this scene, this investigation, his camera died. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm not prepared to take the leap and say that I was 
having an interaction with the spirit of Adolf Hitler. However, there was something very strange transpiring within that building. Hmm. We actually, that was another location. We, we captured a photograph of a woman, a young woman, um, sitting on one of the beds in the hotel wing. Um, who the woman was, impossible to guess. You know, it, it, another one we did, that I'm, I'm happy to share the story with, I think it's not so much paranormal, but it's interesting the way they edited it. We did a prison in Latvia. Now, the Latvian prison was used for, um, it was a military prison. So they weren't quite as harsh on the prisoners because there were Latvian soldiers who had either gone AWOL or broken some kind of rule. Well, when the Nazis came in, they took over the prison. And I guess they thought to themselves, hmm, this isn't really necessary. So they brought all of the, the, the prisoners out of their cells and they brought them across the street, obviously under heavily armed guards, and said, we're going to dig a soccer pit. Now, I'm sure most of the soldiers knew what was coming, but there wasn't much choice. So they dug this giant pit, and they shot half the soldiers. And they said, we needed to make more room in the prison for our own prisoners, so the rest of you start filling it in, or we'll kill you. So they did as they were told, and they started filling in the pit. And when it was near completion, they machine gunned the rest of the soldiers and pushed them in as well. Now, interestingly, if you watch the episode, that entire part of the story was cut out. And they only covered the history of when it was a Latvian prison and when it was a Soviet prison. They took out the entire massacre that occurred when the Nazis held the prison. I, I always was curious, you know, if we can look for Adolf Hitler, why did they cut out that bit of history? Huh. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. So... You know, I mean, I, it's one of those weird things. I always said, how come we're never doing, you know, a haunted candy shop? How come we're never doing a toy factory? Why are we always going after, you know, Dracula and Adolf Hitler? And, well, the obvious answer is it makes for better TV. Right. You know, I mean, we, we went to the actual jail of Nottingham. <laughs> now, as, as most listeners already can guess, Yes, we were looking for the ghost of the Sheriff of Nottingham of Robin Hood lore. Now, Robin Hood himself, as we know, is largely a collection of many individuals who they, they created into one man for the story. So they, they, they asked me, and this is a little behind the scenes, they said, Rob, can we get a, a shot of you saying, Robin Hood, are you here? And I said, no. I'd be foolish. There was no Robin Hood. Um, you know, there would have been three or four individuals who went by that name. Mm -hmm. And, you know, or, or who went, you know, were, were part of the story that became the legend of Robin Hood. And so they said, oh, fine, you, you know, typical Rob being a pain in the backside. Um, and then the show airs, and in the preview, you hear in my voice, Robin Hood, are you here? And that, what that is, is a TV technique called Frankenbiting, Frankenstein's castle being the reference where they take bits of dialogue that are in a similar tone and make it into one sentence. So I never said the line, Robin Hood, are you here? But they took me saying Robin Hood, and they took me saying, are you here? 
pasted it together, ta-da! <laughs> I sound like a moron looking for Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Welcome to the magical world of television. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give you a 60-second break if you want to grab a water or a coffee. And I'm going to ask... I'm going to go with soda. Sounds good. So, have you ever visited any battlefields? Um, I have. I've been visited Gettysburg, where I did some fields, some famous battlefields there. Obviously, Gettysburg being the bloodiest battle um, ever fought on American soil. You know, if ever there were to be paranormal activity, this would be it. Unfortunately, paranormal uh, investigations outdoors are always very difficult. Um, you're always going to get missed. And, you know, the sounds, faraway sounds that when you listen back on the recorder, you say, was that, you know, a, a bird or was it a voice? However, I did do what was a war hospital in Gettysburg. And they showed us, it's now a craft brewery, believe it or not. <laughs> and they showed us some of the tools that were used, some of the bone saws and the like that were used for the surgery. And it, it's pretty horrific. Um, now, the only problem with the investigation is said craft brewery stayed open during the investigation yeah. for the investigators who had paid a ticket. So, you know, starting at 8 p.m., it was fairly quiet. We were having some really good results, and we're capturing EVPs, um, as I mentioned before, these voices that we didn't hear at the time. But as the, the crowd started to imbibe more of the liquor available... Um, they got a little a little rowdier and a little more talkative. Um, and as the night wore on, it got more and more difficult. I started doing the outdoors where I was still getting, you know, very, very clear results of, of people who had, you know, reportedly perished at this hospital, which, which, you know, at different times, it was held by the North and the South. So this was not, you know one or the other. You could get both sides here. In fact, it was reported that at one point it was serving both. There was, there was so many wounded, the doctors were just doctors and they mm -hmm. were just helping anyone who was being brought in. Right. And you had Northern and Southern soldiers being treated in the same building, which I, I found pretty incredible. Um, but yeah, I've always, I've always struggled with battlefields just because it's the same thing when, when you're trying to do a, a cemetery or something like that is your conditions, trying to establish a baseline for readings is near impossible because it fluctuates so often. We'll return to our interview right after this sponsor message. And now, back to our show. In the U.S., uh, what, what cities do you recall as, being, as having um, specific jobs for you where you guys went in and, and were just blown away by what you got? Well, the, mo the most famous city in, uh, near me would be St. Augustine, um, St. Augustine, Florida, where Ghost Hunters, the original show, had a very clear sighting of an apparition at the top of the lighthouse. I've investigated the same lighthouse, but the town has, has you know, they call it Ghost Augustine um, instead of St. Augustine <laughs> because it's become well-known, so well-known, in fact, that they have a Ripley's Believe It or Not museum that is even that is said to be haunted. <laughs> so, I mean, not only have I investigated there, but I've, I've wandered the town. Um, and it definitely has a unique feeling to it. And that may, may be just because 
um, you know, the tourists are, are all on edge. They're waiting for, you know, uh, the, the white sheet to come jumping out from around <laughs> any corner. Um, and it's funny because I also have been to Salem, Massachusetts, which ah. obviously is well known for the Salem witch trials. Totally different feeling there. You know, it's almost like a giant Christmas shopping village. Everyone seems very <laughs> cheery and happy to be there and having a good time. Um, I attended a seance there, you know, just because I always want to, you know, apparent, but saying the paranormal is a big umbrella, isn't it? I mean, you're talking about UFOs, conspiracy theories, cryptids, oh, yeah. you know, anything, a lot of things fit under the paranormal. And I want to investigate, if I call myself a paranormal investigator, and I just look for ghosts then I'm not really a paranormal investigator. So, yeah. you know, I've looked for Champy. For those not familiar, that is the America's version of the Loch Ness Monster Lake in Lake Champlain. Yeah. Yes. So I've, I've looked for Champy. Now, not being an experienced cryptozoologist, um, uh, a, a scientist who looks for unknown creatures, the best I could do was sit on the edge of the boat crossing between Vermont and Canada and look at the water <laughs> with a video camera. So that, that was my exploration of that. How about Bigfoot? Um, you know, I, oh, I've done Bigfoot. I have been out in the Everglades looking for uh, Florida's infamous skunky. Yeah. Yep. I've Now, I smelled something, but I'm I, I hasten to add that you know, there were members of the group who enjoyed a nice chilly meal before our outing. So the sulfuric smell may not have been the mysterious ape so much as my comrades. Um, so, and as far as now we have to go into UFOs, and ironically, um, I have seen two UFOs in the Hudson Valley during the time of the Hudson Valley in, in upstate New York, um, UFO sighting spree hmm. uh, decades ago. And twice, one, one time I saw a bright orange light in the sky, which I pointed out to my mother and my sister who were in the car. And, you know, they said, oh, it's a star. It's a, and as we're discussing it, the thing just zips, just shoots like a meteorite. But instead of coming downwards, it goes sideways and out of sight. The other time, there was this thing that looked like a round blimp. And there were cars pulled over on the side of the road, everyone staring up at this thing. And my dad went to the local um, airport, and they said, yes, we have been inundated with calls, but and we have contacted the local Air Force, who said they have no craft up at the moment, and we have nothing on radar, so we don't know what to tell you. And that was that. Um, apparently no one thought to, I mean, back at the time, I don't know what they would have had like a Kodak camera and they would have to flip the, the picture back and forth to find the UFO, but no one got a picture of it. But so, you know, I, I'm anyway, to, to bring it back around, I went to this seance in Salem because what else are you going to do when you're in Salem besides <laughs> go to a seance, or at least that's what it seemed in my book. Um, and I must say that this, this particular woman, this is not a damnation of all of Salem, but this particular woman was doing an approach that is well known in the paranormal field known as cold reading. And that is where they are using the information that they are not gathering psychically, but visually. So if I look at a woman and she is in her late 40s and is not wearing a wedding ring, 
it's safe for me to, to ask. Right. Now, note I say ask. Um, have you had romantic problems? And she, now, here's the fun part. Is she says, no. No, I've never had romantic problems. The, the, the medium says, oh, that's fantastic. That's an important part to have that foundation. If she says yes, the, the medium says, ah, I had a feeling, <laughs> yes. Someone was telling me that. And so this particular medium was doing a very poor job of cold reading. Um, and and, and the, the audience wanted to, there was only about six or seven of us there. They wanted to believe. So they were, they were full, they were all over it. You know, they were, what about my dog Pepper? Is he okay? Wait, he's coming through. Arf, arf, I'm Pepper. Arf, I miss you. And I was like, this is beyond stupid. Ironically, as we get out, um, there was a record that it was near Halloween, and they, they it suddenly had this massive sleet downpour um, that had never been seen at the time, and it was almost impossible because it was a Saturday night to get a taxi. So I was stuck. Maybe it was it was you know punishment for not believing in pepper but whatever it was you know it, it was definitely made for a very wet and uncomfortable evening <laughs> here's a question for you what was the mm. what was the most terrifying night you ever spent uh doing a paranormal investigation well here's the thing I, and i i received that question quite a bit and it's a fair question and and it's not to say that I am fearless because I'm certainly not. Um, you know, I, I hate driving on when it crowded, wet, you know, turnpikes where people are driving out of control. Very fearful. One thing I'm not fearful of are ghosts, mm -hmm. spirits, the paranormal. Um, so a terrifying night has not happened to me. I'm not saying it couldn't. But it, it's, it, it's an odd question in a way because I've been doing it so long that it's like interviewing a TV repairman and saying, what is the most terrifying repair job you have ever faced? None. You know what I mean? Like yeah, there, right. it, to me, it's – in fact, I was actually called on it, and, and this is a, a behind-the-scenes story. A producer said to me, you know why people watch TV, Rob? And I said, no, sir. Do you want to tell me? He said, because they're bored. And I said, uh-huh, that makes sense. He said, and then they watch you, and you look bored. You know what a bored person doesn't want to watch? Someone being bored. He said, you're too blue-collar. You, you look like you're fixing a tire. Can we get some excitement out of you? <laughs> and, and I explained to him that, you know, I've been doing this for decades. This, this is, you know, fixing a tire for me. This is nothing, any, and his response, if I may paraphrase, is I really don't give a rat's backside <laughs> whether you yeah. think it is frightening or not. I'm not asking you to shriek like a young lady. I'm asking you to show a little bit of damn excitement. You're in Romania. Be excited about it. And yeah. I said, yes, sir. Point well taken. And then, of course, I went back to acting like I was changing a tire. Uh -huh. um, so, hence, hence why my, my career may have been cut short in that department. Um, but, but I can't help it. I'm, I'm not a good actor. You know, I'm, I will say that Ghost Hunters International is one of the few shows of 
active paranormal investigation that was not faking evidence. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the shows that you see on television are fraudulent. And that goes for cryptid shows, like shows that are looking for Bigfoot, Mm -hmm. um, shows that are looking for UFOs, and shows that are looking for ghosts. Most of these shows are deceitful. Mm -hmm. They are creating the evidence. And the problem I have is that people use a, a logic fallacy, which is, A, some shows are fake, therefore, B, all shows are fake. Right. And that's not entirely accurate. There are shows out there that are honest and upfront. There's just very few of them. Well, that's that's interesting you say that because most people, you know, are, even skeptics and non-skeptics are going to assume that any show like that is going to add a little bit of its own drama. And it's a, it's nice to hear that you're telling me that after all the years with Ghost Hunters International that you guys were legitimately out there with legitimate results uh, take it or leave it. And I, that's nice to hear. Well, you, you know why we survived? I'll tell you exactly why we survived. Because, you know, at the same reason you had me on the show, we went to fascinating locations. We didn't garner much in the way of evidence, but people still tuned in because they knew that they weren't going to be able to investigate Spain or France or Latvia or Czech Republic. So they wanted to see, I mean, we did outside of Prague, a building that was built, a fortress that was built supposedly to cover a gateway to hell. Mm. Now I want to see what the heck happens at the gateway to hell. Mm -hmm. So people turned tuned in. Unfortunately, not much happened because we were honest about it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's been locations that we've done where there was absolutely no activity. And then I've seen other similar programs go there and all heck's breaking loose. It's just mayhem. You know, I'm saying that's not real. I was there. That, that, that stuff does not happen there. Um, one particular case, the, 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 the story, and I'll, I'll name the story. It was in Jamaica, and it was the story of the White Witch. Well, the White Witch never existed. Mm-hmm. There, there was no White Witch. The story was that she would um, sleep with the slaves and then have them murdered so they couldn't tell anyone. Well, except that it was more like a fable meant to dissuade slaves from being interested in the, the Caucasian owners, you know, because, hey, she might be the white witch. She might kill you. But, but no, there's no evidence to suggest that this white witch ever existed. There's no name of, you know, and so I saw another program go there and the white witch was on the attack. Boy, she was just tearing things apart. And I said, Hmm. not sure I believe you. You know, I I heard you talking about uh, St. Augustine and uh, and the kind of feeling that you get there. Did you ever do New Orleans? We did did an episode called Voodoo on the Bayou, and I could have gone on six hours with the stories from that area. And I'm very curious to know what you guys found in there, if you did any investigations in there. I, I did not do it with a TV show, but I, I have investigated. Um, I was in New Orleans three, four months ago. Um, but previous to that, I investigated what used to be a brothel um, in New Orleans. Now, there's an interesting story real quick behind that. I was talking to my, my mom recently remarried. I was talking, I had just met her husband who did not know my occupation, but I figured that my mom had told him she had not. So he said that he was from New Orleans. I said, ah, 
I've been to a brothel in New Orleans. <laughs> the conversation went very quiet. <laughs> you do not tell your new stepfather that you just met how you were hanging around a brothel in New Orleans, his right. hometown. <laughs> um, but no, we, we invested, or I investigated a brothel in New Orleans, which is in a very, very bad section of town. I do not suggest people attempt to, to go there um, without protection or, you know, we had actually a um, off-duty police officer in his patrol car monitoring the building, which probably saved our lives. Um, there was a lot of people very interested in, in what we were doing. It was a brothel for a long time. Um, abortions for the women who, had, who became pregnant were done on location inside the building. It then um, went into disre disrepair and became a heroin den mm. um, during the 1970s and then uh, during the 80s became a crack house. And so it's very, it, it's said to be very haunted. Um, I was limited in the equipment I had during the investigation. Although there was a gentleman there that sticks with me that he was using dowsing rods, which I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan, but to each their own. He was using dowsing rods. But he's, now, now you have this incredible opportunity to learn about, you know, the brothel itself. And there's said to be a gentleman there who was kind of the enforcer, and he's the spirit. And he's still trying to keep the spirits of the girls who work there, you know, unsubservient to him. So you have this chance to speak and learn from this individual who was the enforcer of a brothel. And this gentleman who was a, a guest has a dowsing rods. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Keeps asking about future sports games that he wants to bet on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is uh do you think the Knicks are going to beat Philly next weekend? Yes. It said yes. Oh, my God. I put 20 on that game. Woo-hoo! And then, I, I mean, I, I lost. I, this guy just fascinated me. I forgot all about paranormal investigation. I just wanted to follow him around and watch him ask about the Knicks and the Yankees. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Some of the things you investigate on these open investigations are, are more paranormal than the ghosts themselves. Are you, have you ever been hired by businesses? Yes. And yes. What, um, what's the most common reason for them to hire you? The, the, the most common reason is that employees do not want to come to work because of all the strange things that are, that are happening there and things going missing and doors shutting on their own. People hearing their names whispered. So legitimately, and, and with good reason, people don't want to be the last one to close up at night. <laughs> um, so with that being said, it makes perfect sense that, you know, they would hire me. Now, I'm not someone who, who can go in and, okay, I will drive the spirit out. You know, so all I can do is go in and, and see if there's rational explanations for the activity that they're experiencing, um, which I did, and more often than not, what happens is, is that I discovered that most of the time there is not much going on as far as legitimate paranormal activity. There is a rumor started by one of the employees and then everyone else starts jumping in and saying, well, I had this happen to me. Mm -hmm. So, and, and most of the time with these locations, because they don't want to be known as locations that um, have people coming in to look for ghosts because it would, it would obviously damage their reputation. 
they have me sign what are called NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, mm -hmm. where I will not uh, volunteer. I, I am not legally allowed. I could be sued for a lot of money if I revealed the name or location of said business. Um, would you, I have no problem with that. I'm, I'm happy to help out. Um, I've done a, a large number of residential cases where... Yeah, I was going to ask you about I that. Mean, if you'd ever done anything on, yeah. the same, on the same level with, let's say, the Amityville Horror, that type of thing. I've been to the Amityville Horror House. I've been to... Um, <laughs> strange. I was doing a documentary behind the camera for Chiller Channel, which is the sister channel to Sci-Fi and also owned by NBC. Um, and we were doing the stories behind the legend. So we had um, Mike Quarantino, who was there, who was one of the boys during the Amityville Horror incident. And we were outside, shooting outside of the, the Amityville Horror house, and they called the police on us. <laughs> and the police came and were incredibly friendly. They said, I don't know why these people would buy the house. They know what house it is. They know people are going to come and do this. How soon can you be out of here? And we said, 10 minutes. So they went to the homeowner and they said, we told those SOB jerks from Hollywood, if they're not out of here in a half an hour, we're cuffing them up. And this made the homeowner very happy and, and off. He went back into his house and we filmed for 10 minutes and left. Um, mm -hmm. I've been to the haunting in Connecticut house, which is equal fame. They also called the police on us. Um, but no, I've done a number of residential cases, and what helps me on those cases is I do have a degree in psychology. It does not make me a professional, um, but it does give me limited insight into um, early-onset schizophrenia, uh, full-blown schizophrenia, uh, et cetera, extreme paranoia, um, you know, the signs of drug use, because more often than not, when you're called into a residential case, there there is a very mundane explanation. Nothing paranormal. Mm -hmm. The homeowner has it, it may. We had a case where they had a drug problem, um, and our our answer to them was, you know, seek help for your drug problem, and and that may help with. Now we we didn't want to be completely dismissive, but we weren't going to encourage their belief either. So we said it may help with, with the, the paranormal elements if you seek help for your drug habit. Um, we say we're not trying very well to hide. There was needles and spoons and, and paraphernalia all over the house. Um, I have been to residential cases where legitimate activity does seem to be taking place. Um, and, and being, as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm not someone who can drive spirits out. That's not my vocation. Yeah, I'd read, so I'd read or heard I, that you're not a ghostbuster, that you'll, you'll go in and talk to them and say... Correct. I mean, you're, you're correct. not a... I, I try and... Well, here's the thing. Well, the best advice I give to someone who, who legitimately has a haunted home is to treat them like a roommate that you don't get along with. Mm -hmm. And it sounds very odd, but it's very simple. All of us, you know, or most of us have had a roommate that we had disagreements with. So the best thing to do is, and it feels very strange to do this, but sit in your empty house and have a discussion into thin air and set some boundaries. Yep. Listen, I understand that you want to be acknowledged and you want to let it be known that you're a present here. And I can completely understand that at the same time I need to sleep so that I can function and be at work and et cetera, et cetera. And more, you know, many times that has been enough. 
You know, people come in and they say, I'm going to put a cross over each door and I'm going to throw mm-hmm. this and throw that. And it works for a couple of weeks and then the activity slowly returns. Whereas I have found that, that most of the time you're not dealing with, you know, it gets into a deeper thing where I don't believe, I think that, and I, I posted this last night on social media, that I believe death is, is largely an illusion. Um, that's actually a transition. And so when, when someone says, well, someone died in here, so we've got this ghost. Well, clearly this ghost, as you call it, is alive, right? Because it can talk to you, it moves things, it, it does stuff. So it's not dead. If it was dead, nothing would happen. So if it's alive, then we can reason with it and, and attempt to you know, establish guidelines. And I've found that to be largely successful. Not every time, but, but many times. I agree with you uh, very much. You know, they say the older you get, the fewer people you will find who don't believe in ghosts. Um, Correct. I know I've had experiences where I know that uh, I'm passing by a room down the hall at night and I just feel like that cold spot and I just sense that there's mm-hmm. something there. And uh, in the very few times in my life that that's happened, I just stop and talk to them and say, this is a house of God. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know who you are. You might be family. I'm sorry if you are, but we can't live side by side. And I'm asking you if you will please leave. Right. And, and I think that's completely reasonable you know, it, it's people are surprised when they do investigations and they get messages like get out or run. Well, if I came and I knocked on your door and you didn't know me and I was a stranger, you opened the door and said, yes, can I help you? And I just walked right past you and started making a turkey sandwich out of your fridge. <laughs> you probably wouldn't be pleasantly surprised. You would probably be either reaching for a weapon or calling 911 exactly. or screaming at me to get out. Um, so when you wander into these low, empty locations that are said to be haunted, remember that you are a guest. And so they, just as much as you have a right in your home or place of business to ask a spirit to, to vacate, they have a right when you come into their residence to ask you to do the same. Um, and by the way, it's interesting that what you brought up is that we, we have not, we have lost a lot of what made us great hunter gatherers, right? That's, that's how the mm-hmm. human species evolved. Um, we, we still have some of it and people say, Ooh, all the hair is standing up on my arms and my neck. Well, why is that? Mm-hmm. We see it in nature all the time. It's the peacock instinct. And it's, if we were covered in hair and all our hair stood up, we would look larger. We would be a more intimidating opponent. So when you're walking around the house and everything's normal and you say, I think I'm going to grab a, a cup of coffee before I, and all of a sudden for no apparent reason, all the hair stands up. It's a throwback to, in, in my opinion, it's a throwback to our ancestry yep. that it, it's a warning system that we can no longer as accurately tap into. I agree. You know, so it's a fascinating thing. And, and people say, I must be psychic. No, you must be human. Yes. You know, because it, it, it happens to all of us. And some people disregard it and say, nah, it's nothing. And that's fine if that works for you. But if the activity increases, how long can you go and just keep saying, nah, it doesn't bother me. If it doesn't bother you, fantastic. Um, I have had activity. I lived over in Saudi Arabia for eight years. And during my time there, um, I saw the shadow of my son cross from the hallway into the kitchen. 
nah, no big deal. Then I thought to myself, oh my God, it's 1130. What is he still doing up? So I went in the kitchen, no one in the kitchen. Mm. At such a time, I remembered that my son was staying with my ex-wife. So who was the shadow, the, the, you know, medium height shadow that crossed, you know, there was no, no street lights coming in, no car headlights, nothing. It was a solid shadow. So solid. In fact, I assumed it was my son. Now, interestingly enough, and this could have gotten me in big trouble if it had been known at the time, this was the night after I went after, did an investigation looking for the gin. Uh, the gin being a term for, it said that, that God created these beings made of smoke, um, that, that he made humankind and he made gin. And, and we refer to them more in, in Christianity as demons. Um, in, in the Quran and in the Islamic religion, you are, it is said that you should absolutely under no circumstances have any interaction, if you can help it, with these creatures. Well, I sure as heck, you know, and, and saw it, me being as, as dumb as I sometimes am, um, did an investigation, which was incredibly active. One of the most active investigations I've ever done. I don't believe I was dealing with a quote unquote ghost because the things that I witnessed and heard were more intense than anything else. And then the next night was when this shadow crossed in front of me. Now, you'd love for the story to get even more intense and you know, then this happened and that happened, but that was it. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing further occurred afterwards. So, you know, it was, it was definitely a very strange experience. And I've been at times, um, deceitful. I do these public events, um, where people come out, they want to try ghost hunting and see what it's all about. <laughs> and they say, has anything ever followed you home? Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know, it's like if you get on a roller coaster and as the thing starts rolling up the incline, you yell back to the operator, anyone ever died on this ride? <laughs> it's a little late. Yeah. It's a little late to ask me if anything could follow you home once you're in the haunted building. Um, but, but I think, you know, what I, the explanation I give is most of these buildings have been around at least, at least a hundred years. I don't know how fascinating you think you are. I'm probably not fascinating enough that they go, Ooh, I'm following that one home. I'm going to hang out at their house instead of here. (laughs) If it hasn't happened yet, it probably isn't going to happen. I hear a lot about Ouija boards and I, Mm -hmm. I can, I can tell you my opinion on them is that they're dangerous and that they pick up the wrong kind of spirits. That's all I'll say about it. Do you have any opinions on those? I do. Um, I have had, I could, I could do another show just on Ouija boards. Um, my general opinion of them is this. When you are using a Ouija board, generally the explanation is it is subconscious motor skills. Um, you are actually not contacting anything except your own subconscious, which is actually fascinating in and of itself. Imagine if you could sit down and have a conversation with your subconscious. What a weird talk that would be. Um, but anyway... I, I have had some weird experiences with, with Ouija boards, and my answer is this. When you go to bed at night, do you lock your door, or do you leave it wide open and yell out, if there's anyone who wants to come in, the door's open. <laughs> Most of us close the door and lock it. Yeah. So if you want to go on ghost hunts, you want to use Ouija boards, etc., 
um, remember that you're leaving that door open. Yep. So, so if you want to stay away from these things, by all means do, you know, people, I think people get in more trouble through dabbling mm-hmm. than they do by going full force into it, knowing the, the, the inherent danger, yep. you know, I'll, I'll mention this and I hate to, to bring the, the, the mood down a little bit, but, um, one of my investigators who was one of my best friends on haunting Australia took his own life about 14 months ago. And a lot of people wanted to attribute it. Um, he was from India where, where suicide is, is really frowned upon. It's shameful for the family. Um, and a lot of people thought it would be better to blame it on, you know, his, his exploration of the dark side of nature for, for why his, his life ended because it was less embarrassing. Um, you know, I, there, there was a popular television show that is still on today in which two members of the show who were friends of mine um, were part of a murder-suicide. So the question, I mean, but then you say, well, what's your sampling rate? You know, a lot of murders take place, a lot of suicides take place. Is there a connection? And, and there's not enough data to make a study. The, the point I'm getting at is that this can be, for, for some people, a very dark and very frightening area. And so if it's dark and frightening to you, then maybe you'd be better off with kayaking exactly. on the white waters yeah. or, or bungee jumping. Exactly. You know, if this is not for you, stay out of it. No, I agree with if, you very if you're much. Worried that, if you're worried a ghost is going to follow you home, don't go to a haunted place. Mm-hmm. It, it's really simple. Well, I can't thank you enough. This has been a very, very interesting discussion, and I'm going to look forward to the next time we're able to get together and just talk. Uh, I want to thank Absolutely. you so much, Rob, uh, for being a guest on the and show. I, and I'd like yeah, to, thank you as well. I'd like to give you a chance to tell people how they can get in touch with you, uh, the different venues that you leave open for people to contact you, and uh, then we'll end the show from there. But I just wanted to thank you. That's that's perfect. You're very welcome. And as I said, thank you. Um, most of the time I am on Facebook. It's just all you got to do is search my name on Facebook, R-O-B-B, Demarest, D-E-M-A-R-E-S-T. One of the things I pride myself on on Facebook is I do not leave questions unanswered. So it doesn't matter if we're friends on Facebook. If you have a question about the paranormal if, or if you need some help, um, I'm always there. I, I answer every question as fast as I can, which is people say, man, you're obsessed with Facebook. No, I'm obsessed with trying to help people. Um, and I think we could use a lot more of that these days. So if, if you need anything, you know where to find me on Facebook now. Um, again, I want to say thank you. It's been a fascinating show. I, I think that it's really well run. Man, I do so many of these shows that just are done poorly, and that's not a dig at all the other shows. But um, <laughs> it has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us with this episode of 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Rob Demarest, and we have a follow-up interview scheduled for the months to come, as we only covered a small number of his paranormal investigations, and he's a great storyteller with lots more to share. Let us know at facebook.com forward slash 1001 Heroes if you have any questions for him, and we'll cover it in the next interview. That's it for today's show. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story.